Welcome to They Live By Film, a platform dedicated to bringing you film discussion and interviews from around the world. I'm Adam Lundy, joined as always by my co-hosts Chris Haskell and Zach Bryant. Happy 2023. Yeah, happy new year. Happy slightly belated birthday to Zach. Thank you. Uh, Happy happy Christmas, I suppose. We haven't seen each other since before Christmas, so happy everything. Happy, happy, happy. happy. How are you guys doing? (laughs) Uh, I'm making it. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, let's see. We're recording this on January eighth, uh, mm-hmm. and I got I got punished this week at work for taking a week off. Um, just absolutely brutal week. <laughs> so I slept <laughs> on Friday. I slept a lot, uh, and uh, my little my son wanted to. He kept nudging me to wake up, and I was like, "Not today, buddy." Sorry, and <laughs> I slept a lot. <laughs> Yeah, well, my oversleep was today, so I I understand. We're recording about an hour late, but uh, yeah. <laughs> just get a, you just need a five year old to um, discover <laughs> games on an iPad. You will not sleep late. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I still haven't had a full week back to work yet because I was off most of last week because in Ireland we just don't work between <laughs> Christmas and New Year's. All of Ireland just stops. Uh, for a week um, and then I was off New Year's Day as well because it was a public holiday so we had that off so I still haven't worked a full week back uh, yet um, but yeah get, still getting back into the swing of things man I'd love to be off for that long like I've been off on weekends and that's been nice because the holidays like hit on a weekend mm-hmm. so all yeah. my kids are out of school and stuff and I obviously can't pick them up on Christmas but man <laughs> I would love just to have the whole week off yeah yeah, this is the first time in in this is the first time first time since I've been in school that I've had that much time off over Christmas. To be fair, uh, just because of the role I'm in now in work, as opposed to what I've been doing the last few years, so just took advantage of it while I can. Um, normally, I would be I would be working pretty much all of it except for the weekend. One day we should do a whole episode just on uh, social benefits of living in Ireland versus living in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> No school shootings, no (laughs) mall shootings, no in the street shootings, no of any other kind of shootings. Well, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) even beyond even beyond that side, there's just the fact that it seems like they care for their workers in Ireland, which is nice. Yeah, it depends where you work for. (laughs) So okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Not everyone's perfect. Not everyone can be. Um, Y'all watched anything in all this time off? yeah yeah for sure i've been watching and and buying um while i pull up my letterbox i might as well show you just a couple of pickups um that i got over christmas period so the first one i got just before christmas uh was the steelbook of wings of desire from curzon artificial eye obviously because it's artificial eye it has a stupid upside down spine um, which annoys crap out of me and it is uh, very bare inside. I have no idea what special features are on it because there's nothing printed anywhere to tell me. And they I didn't give you a J-card? Bo- no. And, oh shit, maybe they did actually. Maybe I threw that out. <laughs> just a habit with sure. steelbooks. It's like, eh, it's fine. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I threw it out. Um, I also got I got a, a chunky Amazon gift card from my parents for Christmas because they asked me what I wanted and I said give me an Amazon gift card so I can buy something I actually want. Um, so I ordered the Infernal Affairs trilogy from Criterion. Uh, looking forward to it. 
been wanting to see these films for a little while now. So, well, I had money in my Amazon account. I said I might as well. And then... And have you seen The Departed by any chance? Or is this I've, all going to be... Okay. I've seen The Departed. Um, um, yeah, I've seen The Departed. Uh, but never seen these. So I'm looking forward to, especially because I didn't realize that um, Tony Lung is in uh, one or if, if not all of them. I know Tony Lung is in it. Um, is it the same? Have you guys seen it? I have not seen any of them. Yeah, I've seen Where's the first it, one. Is it the same Tony Lung or is it, as I know there's another Tony Lung. No, no, it's it's your man. It's the same. Nice. Awesome. Because I know there's, an, there's another one that was in the Throwdown, right? That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, just wanted to make sure. No, no this, is our, this is our boy. Cool. And then the other pickups I got that arrived uh, during the week um, was from a friend of the podcast, uh, Fran Simeone's new label, uh, Radiance Films. I got his January bundle, uh, Big Time Gambling Boss, and The Working Class Goes to Heaven uh, by Elio Petri which is the same dude who made the investigation of a citizen above suspicion. So look forward to cracking all these. I haven't watched any of them yet, although I have seen Wings of, the, of Desire before, of course. We watched it together as part of the film club, um, but I haven't watched any of the rest of them yet. Uh, in terms of what I did watch over the holiday period, did I watch anything really good? While you're looking that up, I have to tell Zach, Zach, have you heard of Big Time Gambling Boss by chance? I have not. Um, so I didn't. I haven't heard of it before. Radiance put it out, but it's the writer from all the, um, a lot of the battles without honor and humanity films. Okay. And the actor from Lone Wolf and Cub. Okay, so it's a good mashup of genres. Yeah, I knew genre. he looked familiar. Yeah, I knew he looked familiar on the front of the, on the front of the, of the case. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah, in terms of stuff I watched, I honestly didn't watch. Not a whole lot of good stuff, unfortunately. Uh, I think the best stuff that I've been watching is just um, some Godzilla movies. Um, nice. That's pretty much it. Um, yeah, I watched like the new, the new kind of monster verse films. Um, they're they're very fun. Um, the humans are annoying. Uh, I would rather less humans in my monster movies, but um, I, I like I like all of them. For, for different fun reasons. I would definitely wouldn't call any of them bad. I, I like them all in little ways because they're fun. Uh, I did also go back and I've started making my way through the Godzilla set the criterion put out. I've watched, I had already seen the original one, but I rewatched it. And then I watched Godzilla Raids again, which is very dumb. Um, and unfortunately, King Kong versus Godzilla is not on the Criterion channel. It's in the set, but it's not on the channel. So someone else must have the rights to it. Toho is um, weird about rights anyway, so... Yeah, so all the rest say. of the Showa era ones are on the channel, just not King Kong versus Godzilla, which is the next one. So I might try and source that elsewhere. Uh, I know I probably don't need to worry too much about continuity in my Godzilla movies, <laughs> but I'd still like to see it anyway. Have you got to the Ghost Rose one yet? No, I've only... In terms of the original run, I've only seen the first two. Okay. That's that was oh. the first. When you get to it, realize that was the first Godzilla movie I ever watched, and there was a reason I didn't watch it for so long. So, which one again? I want to make sure I write it down. Godzilla versus Biolante, I think, is the actual name. It came okay. out in seventy, maybe seventies or eighties. Let me just pull up the set here. Just have a look. Uh, Criterion Show Era. So it's not Mothra versus Godzilla. It's not Ghidorah, Bira. 
invasion of the Astro Monster, Son of Godzilla, destroy all monsters, all monsters attack, Godzilla versus Hedora. No, no, it's not part of the Criterion set. Oh, is it uh, not? It's not. Uh, oh, okay. It must have been the Heisei era then rather than the Showa era. Oh, okay, okay. Which is the next kind of era, but Criterion didn't put those out, unfortunately. Yeah, that was uh, one. My, my, when I was a kid, the guy I, I knew from elementary school, he was a huge Godzilla fan. I'm actually still friends with him today. Uh, but loves Godzilla. So watched like all of them a bunch of times and stuff. And it, this was one of the ones that came out on Blu-ray and it had not ever hit the U.S. yet. So he went ahead and bought it. And he's like, you want to watch a Godzilla film? I, we were in our 20s, early 20s then. And we were roommates. And I was like, sure. Never seen one. Let's do it. I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I was like, why is there a possessed rose? Why is this a thing? Awesome. And I don't think I watched another Godzilla movie until like, I don't know, the 2014 one came out or something. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't seen any of them until, well, I, I suppose I had seen the 1999 one. Ah, on Roland Bursch, or how do you say his Emmerich, name? Yeah. Emmerich, yeah. I saw yeah. that one on like TV, like growing up, but like I hadn't actually sat down and watched a proper Godzilla movie until I watched the original last year. Um, and then obviously kind of been making my way through them from there. Um, but anyway, what have you guys been watching or buying? You know, we last week we did uh, the last time we recorded, we did our like top of the year, and uh, so that is completely outdated because I've been trying to uh, finish up some movies um, that I had for my list just to be able to do a proper like top twenty list, and so a few that I've watched that have just completely like destroyed it. Probably the first one I watched was like the last movie I watched of the year, which was uh, Babylon, which is the Damien just. Because you say Chazelle, is that, I think that's how you say his name? Yeah, Chazelle is what I would say, yeah. Yeah. Um, his new film, I was not the biggest fan of La La Land, so I'm not like, I love Whiplash, though. I think Whiplash is great. I thought First Man was really good. Didn't care much for La La Land. Didn't really have much expectation of Babylon, uh, simply because, I mean, um, the reviews had been really middling of the road, and, you know, they, it, it ended up probably going to end up being the biggest box office bomb of the year for 2022. but. I went in. Uh, it was a little depressing going into that one because I have this part in my theater where you have like Margot Robbie and the guy who plays the other main character, his name I can't remember. Um, but they're talking about how excited that they are that this movie can be seen the way it's supposed to be seen with a full crowd in a theater. And I was the only one in there. <laughs> I was like, wonderful. Uh, uh, but the movie was fantastic. Uh, really was so good. Like, I think, like, from talking to people, one of the things that I've kind of noticed is there's a lot of people who are don't want to see it because they think it's going to be highbrow. It, it's not. Like, it, it's it's very much not. Like, it, it calls out a lot of pretentiousness and stuff that's in, like, film circles. And it's really just trying to honor, like, the beauty of film while still calling out the Hollywood system. Like, it goes pretty hard onto that. Like, you know, the 20s are always, like, this golden era of change and things and great. You know, you look at Singing in the Rain. This one's like, yeah, there's great things. Film is great. Hollywood sucks. Uh, reviewers suck. Uh, this is this is how it is. Um, the system is not good. And I, I, when I started watching, I realized why it wasn't reviewed very well. I was like, oh, these people are getting called out. Of course, they don't like this. They're getting called out kind of hard. Uh, yeah, I'm, su- I'm surprised by the high bro comment because like Chazelle's other films, like they do have niche subject matters, but like default, they both have very widespread appeal um very accessible movies like i'm i am someone who does actually really like la la land 
uh, I haven't seen Whiplash, but obviously I, I'm aware of how many people like it. So um, yeah, I'm surprised with the hyper comments. I wouldn't have thought that would I have think been the reason. I just assumed that Oscar bait idea. Yeah, like, suppose, oh, we're going to talk uh, about Hollywood. It's going to be, you know, that again. No, I, I think you're right. Because even when La La Land came out, it was, uh, there's this thing called Austin Film Festival. And it was showing it that, and um, it, it does have the, if, if you see it, it's not highbrow, but I think it has a vibe of being like an art house film, uh, the way it's marketed. Yeah, um, I, you know, it's kind of funny too, because like the first like 15 minutes of the movie, uh, you have someone get shit on and then you have someone get pissed on. And this is all in the oh, first 15 minutes and you're like, this is it's probably his most juvenile film, but I mean it's funny. It's a very funny movie, but it it definitely doesn't take itself very seriously. What was the one recently? We oh, Good Morning was one I was surprised. It had a bunch of fart jokes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and shit in your pants jokes. So some yes, yeah, yeah. filmmakers are, are funny sometimes. Yeah, but Babylon was great. It like immediately jumped up to my number two of the of last year. Um, fantastic movie. Uh, and then I watched Tar that had Kate Blanchett in it. Um, Interesting little movie. Uh, I've never watched anything else by John Patton Ford. I, I'm sure he hates his middle name, but is forced to use it because of his name. Uh, but really <laughs> interesting film, and probably the thing that was the coolest about it. So the whole thing is almost like this: there will be blood movie. You know, somebody's on the top of their game, and we're watching their downfall. You know, so she plays like this composer, and it's very hot. It's very stressful. She's very cold. Um, but there's these weird things going on in the background of the film that you really don't necessarily notice. Like there's definitely like a little ghost story going on that is never paid any attention to or pointed out or anything that's going on in the background. And then there's this part and it like blew me away. And it was actually kind of sad because it means how well I knew the Blair Witch Project. But there's a part where she's running through the woods. She, this is this has nothing to do with the rest of the film. She's just running through the woods. And you hear Heather Donahue's screams, the exact ones from the climax of the Blair Witch Project. Mm -hmm. And she goes and looks, and it, it doesn't end up being anything, and they never comment on it. But I was like, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like, I don't, I, it's a hard movie to explain, but it was really cool. Uh, really recommend it, because I don't think it got a lot of love, but I think it's a really cool little movie. Uh, especially I've if you seen like... it on a... What's Sorry, that? go ahead. No, I was, you, you go ahead. I was good. I was gonna say I've seen it on a lot of people's like best list, best film of the year lists. Um, mm -hmm. It hasn't actually had a theatrical release here yet. I saw the, tra the trailer for it when I was in the theater a few weeks ago. Uh, it looks really interesting, so I'm gonna try and watch it when I can. Yeah, I think I think it's a neat movie. Um, I was very surprised by it, and I'll keep it short. The only other thing really to add is I watched Puss in Boots two last night. It's really good. Just go ahead and first the animated film of the year. It's fine. <laughs> You're not the first person I've seen. Praise it. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Like, I was very, very impressed. <laughs> How funny. Is that the one with Antonio Banderas? Yes, it is. Salma Hayek's in it. It's got a good cast. Like, uh, And that's it, like part of the Shrek universe, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, okay. So it's it's got a lot of references to Shrek. But animation is very beautiful. And, like, they definitely did that thing where Spider-Verse did where it, like, ups the frame rate uh, during the action sequences. <laughs> so, really cool stuff. Like, they, they definitely put a lot of heart into it, which is sad because it also hasn't done incredibly well at the box office. Probably putting a family movie up against Avatar 2 is not the best business decision, but, yeah, it is what it is. This, this is what I'm assuming why... Um... Why Babylon is failing as well. Well, I suppose why most things aren't making a lot of money at the moment because Avatar. So, 
Yeah, it's, it's just I don't. I guess that you're in a position where usually that's where you're kind of like, hey, we're trying to get an Oscar. We need to put it in December. But yeah, you have like a yeah. mammoth like that, and it's like you're not going to make any money if you make that risk. But go for Especially it. Especially this time of year, like a lot of people can only really afford to go to the theater once a month. So yeah. you're only gonna if you're only gonna see one film this month, like in December. You know, for most, for ninety five percent of people, they're gonna go see Avatar just because it's been so long and the hype and all that crack. So, especially the way it's been performing. Yeah, yeah, yeah like it's uh, we're we're gonna see our six two billion dollar movie on the way it's it crazy. looks. It's crazy. Oh, but but, you, Chris, uh, anything interesting to share? Yeah. So I haven't watched it yet, um, but I'm excited to have a Vim vendor's year at some point because I took the bite on that Curzon set. Um, so I'll let you all know how the transfers are and all that stuff. The, the thing that... Please let us know. It looks like a cool set. So I'm, I hope it's good. Yeah. Well, the thing that, you know, do you remember when a few years back Kia tried to go up market? Yeah. Um, it reminds me of that a little bit because there's no mention of artificial eye anywhere in the set. It's Curzon. And... Um, they got w- vendors to be pretty involved in the process. So I'm hoping that they, you know, I'm hoping they did him right. Um, and, you know, it's tough because artificial eye, like they've had sets where I'm like, that looks really good. And I don't buy them because of their reputation. Like, I think I've talked about the Tarboski set they have, I think looks really cool. I think, that, but apparently the transfers, I think Adam, you told me they are terrible. Like, yeah, yeah. I've only seen their versions of Solaris and Stalker and they both had pretty glaring issues with coloring and stuff. Yeah, so it's like they definitely can put like effort into the packaging and that's awesome. That's a big step, but you got to, do good with the movies too so hopefully well, that this is a start of something good for them yeah, yeah even if they yeah sorry no no go ahead i was gonna it's it's kind of frustrating as a region b person because they get the rights to so many yeah films over here um now movie are starting to move in on their territory a little bit because with curzon so curzon's like the parent company and they're basically an art theater chain um, they kind of distribute oh. art films in theaters, and then Artificial Eye was always the physical media part of that. So Makes that's why it was Curzon Artificial Eye. So Curzon did the theater stuff, and Artificial Eye was like the physical media part of that. So pretty much any art film that Curzon was distributing, they would also put out on physical uh, under Artificial Eye. So so many great films went out under their label in Region B, but they just put zero effort into them so it was really frustrating when you see the same film come out from say criterion in region a and it be so much better in terms of quality of transfer special features packaging everything so i hope i hope they up their game as much as anyone else you know i know i shit on them a lot but it's only because of experience um I, i hope more than anyone that they up their game i'll be happy to buy their products if they are of a good quality well and they fix their stupid fucking spines <laughs> i know that you're failing i actually i have one it's not artificial i forgot to come it's a french it's a french one because they do that too uh i ended up buying a custom spine for the steel book because it annoyed me so much <laughs> like i got someone to make me a magnet that could go on there <laughs> nice um the only other thing i probably should call out is i'm still waiting on my radiance films order so it shipped the day before christmas and it's 
or what, the week before Christmas, I should say. And it's just slowly making its way across the Pacific. So, oh, wait, across the Atlantic. That'd be across really the weird if it was going yeah. across the Pacific. That'd be like backwards way to go. <laughs> so it's going to take a year. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no. So it's just slowly making its way west here from from the, the UK. So I'll be very happy when that arrives. Um, the only movie I want to call out is uh, Invasion. So I've seen three Chakra Mokri films now, and I kind of get why our boy um, Kiristami put his name in. This guy is making some just dense, intelligent. I mean, his movies are. I think if more people saw them, he'd be a favorite on like the subreddits and people would be going crazy for him. Like he, so Zach, you've seen invasion too, right? I saw your yeah. review, I think. Yeah. yeah. It, it was probably my least favorite of the three, just cause I didn't understand it fully. Um, and it's, it's that. And it, yeah, I think it makes a difference if you see fish and cat or invasion first, because they're kind of pulling similar tricks. Mm -hmm. So it kind of loses a little bit of its novelty, which was a reason that after that, I decided to take a break and like mm -hmm. space out his films more. Um, so I'm going to go back to that. I liked Invasion. It kind of reminded me of watching Stalker. Like, this is really cool. I have no idea what's going on. And that's <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, it's I, like it's cool I mean, <laughs> Adam, just so you know what we're talking about, and then we'll jump into the episode here. We'll, we'll get into um, the African subcontinent here. But um Fish and Cat is one long continuous shot. And it's like a two and a half hour movie. And what he does is he uses this way, this way of kind of like the character just basically turns around. And when they turn around, they re-enter the story at a different point in time than when they then so it's it's like you you see the same series of events play out, but when they reset their their uh the time and kind of go back in time a little bit he then follows a different character around and then follows their arc for a few minutes and then they'll do something turn around or turn around a tree or something and then they go backwards in time into the, the part where a different intersection and you see a new character and it follows them so it's a really clever way to do a continuous shot movie yeah it's and like it's, a non it's like if pulp fiction was one take like yeah. the same order of events, but it doesn't cut. It doesn't tell it in order. Um, it's just giving you the information where it where it feels natural more than anything else. This just yeah. sounds like a worse hoodwinked. I have uh, not seen that, so I can't I can't comment on that. Okay, well I, I'm kind of making a joke as hoodwinked as a as an animated movie about Little Red Riding Hood. Um, but it's actually really good. You guys should actually watch it. It's awesome. It. Put some boots double feature. So. Then in uh, Invasion, what he does is he ups the ante and says, okay, continuous shot, messing with time, and every time that the story resets, the characters are going to play a different role in the movie. And so you, you, you're watching the same scene, but with actors playing a different role in the exact same sequence of events, which then frees him up to take one character kind of out of this loop and have his own story while this other story is in a loop. So anyways, he is a very smart filmmaker. And I think Invasion might have been a little, he probably was trying to be a little bit too smart, maybe. But I hate to even criticize it. It's an it's extremely well-made film. I can't wait to see um, Careless Crime, I think it's called, whatever, his, his most recent film 
is next. Yeah, I think the, I'm not gonna say the issue with Invasion, it's just when you go from Fish and Cat to it, like Fish and Cat is a very, very basic story, like when you break it down, like it's told in the most complex way possible, (laughs) but it's about uh, killers in the woods, essentially, Uh is what the uh film is, Um, where Invasion has a lot of like political elements to it, and a lot of sci-fi horror elements to it and it, it's a it's a lot to follow with the structure it's given like i'm sure if i watch it again i'll be like oh this is awesome but yeah it's it's definitely a harder one to follow than fish and cat uh, yeah exactly I, that might actually be the perfect segue into the politically charged discussion we're about to have about west african uh, and french politics oh let's do it Okay, and so we will now jump into the theme. So I, I appreciate y'all going on this journey with me. Uh, both I mean that both to Adam and Zach and also to anyone who's listening. Um, I've chosen some films that have not been beloved in this podcast um, before, and uh, I'm really interested to see how this episode goes today, especially with um, the first film we're going to talk about. But I want to introduce, there, there's been a slight change. So it you know, I wanted to do a deep dive into African cinema. Um, I, let's say that more, you know, at large. And then, as I started digging in, I started from the the point of Usman Semben, because um, that's the, one of the ones that I had seen. And I realized that there's another filmmaker from Senegal, so it might have been interesting to do a little dive into Jabril Diop Mambeti. And so, at the end of the year, I chose Tuki Buki and hyenas for us to view. And due to the fact that all three of us are procrastinators, uh, we found out very late in the game that there's no good uh, subtitles uh, for hyenas, um, at least in in Ireland. Um, So we made a little switch. So what we're gonna be doing is um, tukibuki, that'll stay the same, but instead of another Mambeti film, we're going to actually do a Semben film called Mandabi. So uh, Tukibuki, the English translation is Journey of the Hyena, and Mandabi, the English translation is Money Order. Um, So I think we'll probably start with Journey of the Hyena or Tukibuki. Uh, And it's a 1973 film. Um, Mambeti only made two films, uh, features length. He also made some shorts. Um, This was his first one. I just want to make sure that's right. Yeah. So this was his first feature. And essentially, let me see if this is good. Maury is a a cowherd and Anta is a university student. And they try to make money to go to Paris and leave their boring past behind. That's what it says on IMDb. I think that's effective. That's good enough to jump in. Um, So before I, uh, you know, before I jump in with with my thoughts, what uh, Adam? How are you doing with this? This is your second time to see it. Uh, yeah, I've seen uh, the way it worked out. I've seen both of these films before. Uh, I did rewatch them because it's been about a year, maybe or maybe even a little bit longer um, since I've seen them. Um, I'm a big fan of both, so you're already lucky. <laughs> this podcast, I, I was already a big fan of both films, uh, especially Sam Ben's work. I'm just a big fan of his work anyway. Um, Tukibuki is interesting. It is, it, it's very, very influenced by the French New Wave, um, especially Goddard. 
uh, as, as as you can probably tell as well, Chris, uh, Zach, you not so much. Um, but so it's, yeah, it's really... drivel. Understand? Got it. <laughs> uh, it's it's an interesting film. It's I find it a bit impersonal at times. Um, there's a lot of rough scenes as well. Uh, I'm sure we all saw, you know. Uh, during the cow the cow killings i remember the cow killings i didn't remember the goat killing so that true that that took me um a bit off guard as well um so there is for viewers there is real animal killings in this movie if that's not your cup of tea might want to avoid it um it's just it's it's just capturing the realism really of the of the area i suppose but yeah, just thought I'd warn listeners, um, there is real animal killings in this movie. Um, but one thing I will say, the film is is just beautiful. Um, you know, whatever sort of film grading or whatever they used is just stunning. I, I love the look of this of this kind of film, uh, especially the blues and the water, uh, you know, when it's crashing against the rocks and stuff. When I see scenes like that, that's like, that just scratches my brain in a nice way, you know. When I <laughs> when 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 I see when I see that kind of um, that kind of color, uh, I think the plot's interesting. It's kind of like a like a weird kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde road crimey kind of movie, but just set you know in a, a part of a culture so far away from what we're used to in in kind of Western society. Yeah. Um, so yeah, mostly I do enjoy the film. I find parts of it a little bit impersonal, um, but it's yeah, it's it's a really really well made film. It tells a good cohesive story. It has obviously you know good themes of neocolonialism and stuff, which I think are a bit stronger in in, in Mandabi personally. Yeah, uh, I think Semben represents that stuff a little bit better, um, and I think this film is maybe a little bit too indebted to its influences. Um, you know it's i would have liked to have seen something that's maybe a bit more um just maybe not a bit more original it's it's still an original film but something that maybe showcased the director's voice a little bit more i think again i'm gonna end up comparing semben and mambiti constantly throughout this episode because you know we're watching those two directors and again i think semben is does a much better job of having his own voice and his own style uh, versus Mambiti, who's clearly influenced by French New Wave, but makes use of that influence in a very good way. Yeah. Yeah. Before I jump into the stats and stuff, Zach, what's your what's your knee jerk? Um, <laughs> it you know both of these were interesting, but I'll, I'll focus on um, this one. Of the two, this was probably this was almost definitely the one I preferred. Uh, but I never want to hear anyone complain about Cannibal Holocaust again. And if they love this movie, this is a I was whole lot say, worse than I was Cannibal say Holocaust. That. I was going to, okay, yeah, I wanted to get into that. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was, I, you know, I'm usually not too bothered. Like, I, I hate that animals had to die for movies, but I was like, this is rough. Like, this is really rough. Yeah, that's uh, what I was going to say. Like, Adam, Adam saying there's animal killing in the movie is like, is like saying there's sexual assault and irreversible. <laughs> but, <laughs> Yeah, it, it, but you know, uh, time different, different culture, yada yada yada. You know, it's it's not it's not a hit at the film that I wouldn't you know put on any other film made in the time period. Um, but you know, it it did definitely like if you want to get somebody like I don't know weirdly engaged in the sense that like oh I'm paying attention because I I did not expect this like going into the first fifteen minutes of the movie. Um, but I I think one thing that's interesting that Adam brought up that I do think will probably extend. 
I guess I find it a little ironic that to hear there's a lot of like French New Wave influences. It's not something I'm super familiar with. When the film is kind of anti-colonialism, and from my understanding, France is the colony in this scenario, right. this country, right? So I found that kind of interesting in a ironic sort of way that they would pull so much from France New Wave. It's probably fairly anti-colonialism from what I gather. So I just find that kind of fascinating. Uh, but I liked it. I thought the final shot of the film was probably like really good. Uh, that, that was actually a really cool final shot that I won't spoil, but I thought that was yeah. Good. You'll um, you make a good point with the irony of the the, neo, the the sort of colonialism, neo-colonialism, and the fact that they're sort of taking from from French New Wave. Uh, French New Wave was actually pretty famously um, anti-colonialist, um, especially like especially that Goddard was a huge advocate for, you know, freeing Algeria during the Algerian war and stuff. Um, so it's, a, uh, you make a good point. I don't know for sure. I'm not just guessing here, but, you know, perhaps maybe there was a kinship formed because they were so sort of, they're very left-leaning. The, the French New Wave is very, very left-leaning mm-hmm. um, in terms of the political sphere. So they would be very much anti-colonialist and everything like that. So, uh, but I still think it's a good shout out. It's almost like they said, "Well, look, you took our land. We're going to take your film techniques." <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, one of my favorite uh, things that I, I can't remember where I read this, but I was reading something about the film, and it said Mambetti was a poet before he made movies, and um, um, uh, Semben was a novelist before he made movies. And I think that sums up the two movies so well. Like, I think this is more of a poem than a strictly narrative film. You, you scare me with that, because I remember the last poet turned filmmaker we did. <laughs> no, no, no. This is not a cocktail. Um, but I just think that this film to me is closer to, it, it, it plays closer to a poem than a novel. And I think Mandabi plays closer to a novel than a poem, if that makes sense. Like, it's more... Anyways, maybe that's a bit esoteric, but I, I this uh, uh, Membeti to me seems like a very intelligent person. He had no formal film training, uh, just basically picked up a camera and made this movie. Uh, made it for thirty thousand uh, dollars with friends and and family. And uh, I think there's an element to this which feels a, a little bit like the same reasons that I like punk rock. It's like in a lot of the early punk rock music, people picked up a guitar and were they didn't have any formal training, so they just played and they kind of made sounds and they weren't always exactly what you would expect, but it kind of worked because they brought like a certain energy to it. And so I like the energy of this movie. I like the chaotic energy. Um, that early scene with the cow was tough. I did not like it. Uh, it was so, the camera just stayed on it. It was very jarring. That was very hard for me, but um, anyways. We, uh, 320th best film of all time. Really? Okay. Is, is this one that ended up on the, or was voted on a bunch for sight and sound? For some reason it popped up a lot. I think it's in the director's list. If I remember okay. Correctly. I know it's definitely on one of them. Put it in as what world cinema projects. Yeah. That's how it got its release through criterion. Originally it was in one of the sets and then it also got it an individual released one of the few that were in a set that then got individually released afterwards okay yeah right so uh let's see west side story eyes without a face tukibuki melancholia 
and then um, a Taiwanese movie called The Puppet Master, which is not what you're thinking. It's and so then, we're Charles Band on this list. <laughs> and then Harold and Maude, and then Stranger Than Paradise. So that's the kind of company that it keeps. Yeah, like I um, think that's pretty, that, like comparing it to the films around it, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, it was interesting. So, so Senegal, okay, I think we talked about this, or I can't remember. But you know you have um, Morocco, then you have Mauritania, then you have Senegal, right? Kind of coming down from Spain. So you have Europe, and then you have Morocco, Mauritania, and then Senegal. And so the European influence is just—I mean—you can see a, a, a geographic line as well as knowing that France was, a, you know, a colonizer of that. And they left in the '60s, so France was there until the '60s. So when this movie came out in '73, there was still a lot of really raw emotion from the French being there and leaving. It wasn't like it was 30 years you know, prior or a generation prior. Like these films were made by, both men we're speaking about today were made by people that were unhappy with colonialism and were both pretty big into the um, Marxist party and to a lot of the left-leaning kind of labor parties and stuff. So I think that influences this, but um, um, yeah, that, I, I think that to me, this is, uh, I struggled with it because it's so jarring early on. Um, and then I think the, I want to see what y'all think about this, but I, I think the reason he puts those, the, well, there's two different scenes of animals getting slaughtered, right? The first one is the cow was just so hot. I mean, I eat meat, so I know this stuff goes on. It's just, damn, it's hard to stomach to just sit through it when like the yeah. neck opens up and stuff. I mean, it's just tough. Um, I mean, it's tougher too, because I have, I've never shot a deer. I've been hunting before and I've skinned a deer and that does not even just feel comparable. Like how, I guess it's so impersonal. I think uh, Adam, you said that word earlier. It's what it kind of feels like. Like this feels so impersonal. Like uh, when you, when you're doing this way and it's interesting to see, I mean, I've seen the videos of like what goes on in slaughterhouses. And I mean, I eat meat. I like meat. I'm not going to sit here and criticize it, but it's tough to watch sometimes compared to, skinning a deer yourself or something yeah and i guess it's not animal cruelty because the difference i i think people would say that, that this is not animal cruelty because he was filming a process that happens anyways there's almost like a like a documentary style on something that just happens in that area yeah it he didn't go like, out and say kill all these cows and make it a movie yeah yeah and exactly. i mean that's an interesting middle line because it's also what populists argued for apocalypse now is that mm. it was going to happen anyway. So it's an interesting gray area when you talk about it like that compared to other films that have done it. Like like Yodorovsky that got bought a thousand frogs and put uh, TNT on their back and blew them up for his movie. What movie was this? It's uh, um, Holy Mountain, right? Isn't it the beginning oh, of the Oh, is journey? that the one he did that for? Okay, I don't. I haven't seen Holy Mountain in a long time, so yeah, I, I, I don't think it's, I'm pretty sure it's that one. It's a scene in the beginning where he's like in town, and there's a, a guy putting on a show, and there are all these frogs dressed up in different uh, clothing that all blow up. Anyways, there's yeah, there's a lot of animal cruelty, and then he kills a bunch of rabbits. But those are like that's like animal cruelty in the purest sense. Like he's killing animals for dramatic effect in a movie. Right. Whereas I think there's to me, there is a little bit of a difference because this one is it's tough, tough, tough. But so to get to the point, I think he's trying to 
show it in the reality of their world. And then they kind of go into this fantasy of, of what Paris represents, right? And so there's this sharp contrast in the movie between sort of the, the life that they're leaving and then the life that they're hoping to get into. And then there's this third layer of what they have to do in order to get to Paris, which is essentially the only way to get there is to become criminals, I think, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, like, in, and this is obviously much more forward in, in Mandabi, but obviously there's not a ton of work going, you know, a lot of people are unemployed or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's not easy just to come up with that money in a, in a, in a legitimate way. You know, a lot of people have to kind of scam their way if they want to try and make a better life for themselves in the long run. Yeah. So I, in that, if that's true, then I think I, I as much as I hated watching it, I think I understand its place in the film as showing that that contrast, I think, between it's almost like he wants to hit you over the head with that early on. One of the Criterion uh, Channel interviews, the the person who wrote on the on uh, the movie or, or interviewed uh, an actress on the movie was saying it's the most confrontational opening to a movie ever. And I, I can't I don't know about ever, but it's certainly up there. I like that yeah, word, like, confrontation. I mean, it's, it's making a statement very early. Yeah. And and I think I kind of anyways, that, that was my whole that was my question. I, I basically I think I kind of understand it um in the context of the rest of the film because it does lighten up. Yeah, yeah, it, like apart from those scenes, it's it is fun. Like it's it's quite a lighthearted, like this is why I kind of likened it to kind of like a road movie in a way. Yeah. Um you know, a lot of the a lot of the schemes they get up to are largely harmless yeah they're, they're stealing money or scamming or whatever but like it's not like it's not like i kind of said bonnie and clyde earlier but it's not like they go bonnie and clyde and go murder a bunch of people and steal their money and and mm-hmm. go on the lamb you know it is relatively lighthearted for the most part mm-hmm. yeah i totally agree what were you saying zach i totally agree on that no uh, we're talking about the goat scene i'm trying to remember it's been a few days since i watched it but it feels like the goat is like after its death is kind of when the I'd say the tone of the movie changes yeah. quite a bit. Like it's kind of interesting. I don't know what what exactly is going for. I'm sure he's going for something. I'm not quite getting, but I think it's interesting because I feel, I feel like I remember like the sky itself almost changes like with the death of the goat and stuff like that. And the sense that it just I don't know, the movie itself kind of feels very different from that first. What was that 15, 20 minutes in maybe? Mm-hmm to what it becomes after that. And I think that's jarring, but interesting. <laughs> like, I, I, I know it's purposely jarring. I'm not 100% on the reason why, but uh, I think I find it fascinating. Remember we talked in Mulholland Drive and Adam, you laid out exactly the what was going on in Mulholland Drive and the order of things. And remember that? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like it's the same type of thing here. I'm not saying this is a Lynch film, but... I think there's the reality of the world they're in versus kind of like a dream or like the fantasy. And I think that what you're talking about, Zach, I think that that's the moment when things shift from sort of like their harsh reality mm-hmm. to like that aspirational kind of fantasy of where they're going, right? Right. Okay. Okay, yeah. I like that. So I think that's why things lighten up. Um, I, did, I didn't know that until kind of the ending, which I don't know, maybe later we can do a spoiler, but... Um, that kind of made me rethink the beginning of the film 
uh, and, and what happens in that change. Because remember, even the lady who did the killing was so uh, happy that the main character died, was, was, well, not died, but had crashed the motorbike and you weren't sure what was happening when they were laid out on the, the cliff there by the water. And then as the movie progresses, you, you see her again and she's cheering them on, right? When they come back with money, she's like their biggest fan. And she's like, oh, this the same guy that she was like cheering for his death, it seemed like in the beginning, she's now like loving them. And he's bringing like prosperity and wealth into the town um, when he steals that money. So but there's like, I think even her is like an interest. You, she's even an interesting sort of proxy for, I think, the two different, like the kind of reality versus their their dream or their fantasy. Um, an interesting point. Like, I yeah, was thinking that of that more from the perspective of, um, again, I don't want to keep linking to Mandab because we have to have a, a you know, its own com- conversation on that. <laughs> but the way everything changes once they hear about the money order in Mandabi, everyone suddenly wants to be uh, Ibrahima's friend, you know, because uh-huh. they think they'll get a piece of the pie. Um, but I definitely see where you're coming from. I never really picked up on the potential kind of dream aspect of that. Maybe I was looking at things too literal uh, when I was watching it, but it kind of makes sense with the way the sequence of the last few shots go. Um, you know, the way it kind of retreads things, but yeah, it's an interesting outlook. I feel like, yeah, like this is definitely a film that I think you'll get more out of on rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, Obviously, I've seen it twice now. I feel like if I watched it a third or a fourth time, um, I certainly wouldn't be bored. It's a very arresting film. Um, but I feel like I'd also kind of pick up on more stuff like that uh, that I might have missed out on the first couple of times. Yeah, I mean, is it on that point, is it worth just spending a minute just kind of walking through what happens in the story? Because I think it's... It's if someone hasn't seen it, maybe what we're talking about is a bit confusing, right? So, the we see that the, there's two main characters, right? There's they're essentially a a boy and a, and a girl, and they're a couple. Uh, and there's a little bit of chatter. They're, they're in a village. It's not in Dakar. It seems like it's outside of Dakar, um, and uh, it's but it's close, close enough they can get there on a motorcycle. And there's this interesting. Um, the, the the scene we've been talking about where the cows are slaughtered early on, it cuts to, so the, the cows have a, or the bulls there have a very unique style of horn that almost seems like they're kind of, like the longhorns that I'm used to in Texas, they're almost on like the side of their head. So they come out almost on like a flat plane and then kind of go up at a 90 degree angle. But these ones are more at like a, almost a 45 degree angle and they're kind of angled. They're, I haven't, I'm not really used to seeing cows quite like this. But then it, as the cows get slaughtered, it, it cuts to a motorcycle driving. And on the motorcycle is some antlers or the, some, some horns that are on the front. And so we see the first shot we see is almost like a POV shot from who, you know, the guy that ends up being the main character in his motorcycle. Right. And he uh, there's a little bit of business early on where there's you get to meet some of the personalities of like the parents and the local people in the village and talking about how people that go to France, they, they kind of lose themselves, they lose their culture, they bring home these white women. So there's a little bit of chatter around, like you get to see how people view France. Um, and then you get to see this this guy who works with cows, um, slaughtering cows, then 
pick up his girlfriend who's going to university and in the process he kind of gets beat up right and then uh his motorcycle gets stolen and then he ends up on a cliff uh by some water and we, we know he's close to death but his girlfriend finds him and seems like she's taking care of him and then from there the movie kind of switches and he's healed uh at the next scene he's better and then they start going on this adventure right where they kind of go into town and find some money and they find this guy who's i guess in uh, a gay guy and he, and he he's wants to like have a night with the main character and then while he's getting the bath ready for their big night he steals all of his clothes and money and and his driver <laughs> and then they all take off on this journey through the city basically like living this life large as as wealthy uh, uh well anyways from a different class just wealthy people and they go through on these kind of adventures with stolen money um and oh no no there's one more scene i forgot where they steal from a uh there's like a wrestling match or something right when they steal money from that as well um anyways and so then as as the story progresses you see them just getting into different uh kind of hijinks and then it ends up they they go towards the this they finally get their tickets they go to a pier they go to a dock ship's about to leave the girl gets on the boat to go and the the boy hears his name being called from the um speaker overhead and has a pause and then he just takes off running and goes back into town and it's left ambiguous as to why he runs um and then there's another ending which I'll wait till till figure out if we want to have a spoiler alert or not at the end but that, that's kind of the the crux of the movie right yeah yeah i think that sums it up well nobody needs to watch it now <laughs> you've just you've, yeah you've, you've said everything really um but yeah this is what i mean it's just kind of in a way <clears throat> like i know i know i said um I know I said uh, Goddard earlier, um, but now I'm thinking about it a little bit more. In, yeah, in terms of like techniques and stuff, yeah, a bit Goddard. But in terms of the story, it might be closer to something like Jacques Rivette, um, or, or or Francois Truffaut. It's it's kind of a bit, yeah. It's just kind of like a, a pretty lighthearted story, even though some you know they they do some pretty pretty bad things, not not utterly terrible things. Uh, but they do some pretty shady stuff um, throughout the film. Yeah. They are still very much, well, at least the main character is is more of an anti-hero um, more than anything. Like, ultimately, you still want to see them do well. Um, but yeah, now that, you're, now that you've sort of put it into my head, I'm definitely I'm definitely seeing more of the the dream element of it um, that I didn't really see before. To me, I was taking pretty much everything on face value when your one, you know, when the the woman who who kills the goat was saying that he's down by the cliffs, nearly dead or whatever. Um, I didn't take that literally. I just thought she was just, you know, messing with the girl's head. Um, mm. You know, so maybe I was looking at things a little bit too too literally when I was watching this film. Uh, I have no problem talking about the end anyway. If we wanna, if we wanna talk about it. Yeah, it's probably time. We've we've teased enough. I'm I'm okay. If, the only thing I do want to call out real quick before we get into spoilers is uh, that music. I, I love the musical. Uh, well, I guess the soundtrack, but I love specifically the reuse of that song, Perry, Perry, Perry. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I like that as well. I'm trying to remember if I've heard it somewhere in another film before, but it sounded super familiar. 
it's Josephine Baker. I mean, it's a fairly well-known um, musician, but uh, okay. I, I I wasn't familiar with the song. Maybe I was just remembering it from the last time I watched it, but um, <laughs> probably yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel like I had heard it before, but I probably had heard it in in, in this film. <laughs> it's so memorable, right? It almost like do you remember when um, we saw a pale flower for the film club right now? And yeah. there was that every time that there was the gambling, there was a guy who was calling for the for the uh, bets, and he had like a real real consistent cadence. Yeah, it almost it almost reminded me of something like that, where it was like an audio cue uh, used at different times throughout the movie. For sure, um, which is probably the only comparison we could ever make between Pale Flower and Tuki and <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I I just I really like the use of that song, especially the fact that it comes into the second sort of part of the film, which is this when they're in that that escapism kind of mode, whether or not it's a fantasy or a dream, but at least they're in that kind of escapism mindset. Um, I think it works really well to to contrast against the village and like the reality of the town that they're in versus how they see themselves and where they want to go. Um. I don't know if there's too much else to discuss before we get into the spoiler territory. Zach, anything on your mind? Uh, no, I think it's been covered pretty well. Yeah. I also really like the music. It has a good energy to it. I, I, it's hard to explain, but I guess that's the always the advantage of going to watch other countries that you're not familiar with and like how they use music. I mean, I, I can't analyze it any further than that, but I really like it. And I thought it was different and interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, well then, yeah, Adam, you want to go ahead? You want to do it? No, you, you're far away, man. Okay, well... I, <laughs> You've already right, told cool. all the story. You might as well, you might as well end it all. <laughs> I was just thinking about that, yeah. Um, so the very the very last in, uh, scene of the film is it, it cuts... So, so you see the character, uh, Maury, the, the boy, um, running away from the ship, and he... Uh, runs and, and he keeps running and then I forget exactly what happens but it cuts back to them on the rock so yeah. when the when the bike crashes or well when when he gets beaten up and they throw his bike on a rock and him on a rock earlier in the movie the seat it sort of stops there and then it ends at that same spot so it seems to me like everything that happens in the middle is I don't know if it's like his, his life is flashing before his eyes or if it's this is an alternate reality that they could potentially go on or, you know, I, I don't know exactly how they're how uh, Mambeti meant this, but it seems like it's all part of the reality that they didn't get to experience. Which is what it's, it's really making sense to me when you're putting it in this perspective, because for me watching it, it was just like it was less about flashing back literally in time to a previous moment, but just more about him remembering that, you know, as he kind of flees. Okay. Um, But I think what you're saying makes a hell of a lot more sense rather than just being just kind of like memory bookends, um, you know, to have this kind of, and I know people hate it's all a dream, but (laughs) um, (laughs) if it's fairly subtle, like, this clearly is obviously I didn't pick up on it. I don't know if you did either, Zach. No, um, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, then I think it's it's pretty poetic. Um, to you know, he he obviously wanted to to run away with uh, with his girlfriend, um, who obviously it, it 
it didn't seem to go to plan because you know he was attacked and potentially killed and maybe this is kind of like his last sort of thoughts you know thinking about what he could have done and then it all kind of comes crashing down at the end um i like that reading of it i'll have to when i watch it again i'll have to keep this in mind to to pick up on it more but from what you're saying that you know when it goes back to them on with that shot of them lying on the rocks that it is literally going back to them on the rocks and everything in between wasn't reality then i think that's a very very valid reading of that movie Great. Well, you got Mulholland Drive. I got Tsuki Buki. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. And now we're going to move on to Mandabi, uh, directed by Usman Semben. Yeah, you did it. Oh, thank yeah. God. Okay. I was waiting for like some, <laughs> I said it right. Yes. So uh, this is a money order, which actually, uh, Chris mentioned earlier, Mandabi, I think, means money order. Is that correct, Chris? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. A money order from a relative in Paris throws the life of a uh, family man out of order. He deals with corruption, greed, and problematic family members, the locals, and the changing uh, from the tradition way of living to a more modern one. All right. So, uh, Chris, this was your pick. So I will let you uh, kind of talk about uh, your uh, your slight change that we, because since this was last minute, what made you choose this one in such a hurry? Um, I just wanted to see a film from Simben that was not black girl because uh, i've seen we saw his short i think for a film club during short week shorts week, yeah i think yeah um, it was it was actually no i remember what happened we um it was the week that we did black panthers that one and then we decided we were gonna uh, watch it but i don't think we ended up actually talking about it in an episode Okay. Yeah, because okay. um, that was a er- that was super early for us. Like, the oh Black yeah, Panthers. that's like yeah, that's like one of the, like in the first five episodes. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was yeah because I th- I think we it was with uh, Var uh Varde um yeah what was, yeah yeah that's was right. that her that's right okay. it was her doc okay. yeah it was her documentary about the Black Panthers yeah okay right. okay um but I loved um. I'm just going back now real quick. The name of that was Boram Saret. I loved that one, that short. So I was excited to see more. I actually have not seen Black Girl yet, so I need to correct that. But I wanted to, that's the one that I think was at least more people talk about. So I wanted to find one that was a little bit off the beaten path. Um, And I thought it was interesting too, because this was the film he was, uh, so Usman Semben was most excited about because it was in his native uh, Wolof language. And he was the first film he was able to make in Wolof and so then that meant that this week could be a Wolof week, which I just like the way that sounds, um, because uh, Mambetti also made his movie in uh, in Wolof. So um, uh, I, I this is the 1,900th best movie ever made, according to they shoot pictures. Okay. Um, you're starting to get into like funeral parade of roses, um, the original Black Christmas. Um, the really brutal 29 Palms, um, Seventh Continent. So there's a lot of uh, hard-hitting kind of stuff right around this, which is funny because this is not a, a hard-hitting movie at all. Uh, I, I'm just going to be honest. I loved, love, 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 love this movie. Um, I think the probably the biggest reason, it hit me like on a personal level because there is, elements of this that felt very familiar from growing up in Jakarta, Indonesia, 
um, not everything, but elements of this. Uh, and I just, I immediately felt comfortable. I think this is going to become like a, almost like a comfort movie for me. I, I think it's funny. Um, not all of it is funny, but I think there's a lot of funny moments. And uh, I, I just loved it. So I'd love to, I'd love to hear what y'all think. But um, to me, this is way too low at 1900. Well, I, I do agree in the fact that I, I can relate to it a little bit, but only the fact that I too hate bureaucracy. So, you know, that was pretty <laughs> nice to get validated for that. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. You, Adam? yeah as, I, as I mentioned earlier, I've seen it before. Really, really like it. I'm a big Sam Ben fan. I think it was great. Um, I've seen this Black Girl and Barm Surratt. Uh, the rest of his films are unfortunately not very available for viewing. He did make more films in, in Wolof uh, after this. Um, this was adapted from his own novel as well. So you mentioned earlier that this one is a bit more novelistic compared to Tukibuki, and that's because it was literally based on his novel. Um, so that makes perfect sense. Um, some might say the film was less brave in its filmmaking. I would call it more refined. Um, I think it's a better way to put it. Uh, unlike Mambete, Senben did have some formal film training. He was actually in the Moscow Film School for about a year um, where he trained other Soviet directors. So he does have technical training, and I think that comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, it is more of a classical, structured film. Um you know, maybe it doesn't wow people. It doesn't, maybe it didn't wow me visually as much as Tukibuki did, but it's very, very competent in its filmmaking. He puts a lot of effort on the characters, uh, especially the main character who's very, very complex. Um, despite the story itself being relatively simple, um, we have a gentleman that we're following that, you know, there's things maybe to respect about him. There's a lot of things to not respect about him, but we kind of, he, he's essentially not really the hero of this story, but he's hes the crux and anything that happens to him, the audience is, is, is also forced to kind of deal with that no matter how frustrating that is the whole way through. Um, yeah, it's its a great film. Senben's a great director. Um, I think this is very, in terms of how it's made, it's definitely more in line with something like a Roberto Rossellini um as opposed to you know the french new wavy stuff it's it's realism um but told in a very cinematic classical way if that's mm. that's that's the best way i can kind of put it nice. and it might be better like i haven't seen black uh, like black girl or anything so i can't comment on that but being more refined and maybe being more like subtle in the approach and things like that might be better when you're kind of your main point is the satire and having a real more yeah. realism to it probably helps that satire come through a little bit better so it doesn't seem ridiculous because it is, from my can tell, a real issue with stuff like this. Yeah, like this film is interesting. Like I suppose like I didn't actually find it all that funny. I found it very frustrating. Um Yeah, I wouldn't say and, it's funny, but I think it's satirical. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely yeah. I definitely get that satirical aspect. Um I do find a, a bit more sadness with it. I feel like in the hands of a different director, it could have been out loud funny. Um, they could have really played it up. Um, but I, I like the approach that, that Sen Ben made. It's very balanced. Um, there's a lot of stuff that is satirical, but it's it's also quite sad that that's that's the kind of state of the nation and that's you know the the scars of colonialism. Um I, I found it interesting when I originally wrote my review for this film when I when I first watched it, 
I, I made the point I was rereading it just to try and remember what I thought first time um, before I watched it earlier today again. Uh, and I, I made the note to say that at no point during this film does a white man do, you know, do wrong to this person. In fact, we only see one white person in the whole film. Every bit of wrongness that happens to the main character is done to him by fellow Senegalese people. But they're people who've benefited from the colonial system. They've climbed that ladder. They have moved up in classes. They have become greedy. Um, so even though the you know the French are not directly the villain of this film, they are indirectly causing yeah. all of his problems through yeah. you know the the change in system. And the main character Brahima is essentially he is an old man in a modern world. He doesn't have a birth cert. He follows old cultures you know he has two wives and a shit ton of kids um you know he he is he is a a, a traditional man stuck in a changing modern world which i think in the in, you know in the 20th century that happened to a lot of people you know there was a, a lot of people especially that would have been around this guy's age in the 60s 70s 80s not just in senegal but just in the world in general how it sort of changed would have had these struggles you know, like there's a, in Ireland, even, you know, there would have been a lot of people who would have been like my grandparents age or my great grandparents age who would have never really had official documentation, um, you know, for things like driver's licenses and state IDs and all that kind of stuff. Um, until really until like the eighties and the nineties, when everything really had to become modernized, we couldn't really fight the, the old, you know, the, the new ways anymore. Um, so I, I found that super interesting. I f like he's not a perfect person by any any shadow of a doubt. Um, he he creates a lot of problems for himself um, because he's also greedy for his share of the pie at the end of the day. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just I found I just find him such an interesting character. He is like I said, he's just he's a traditional man in a modern world, and the modern world is not nice. Um, I don't. The modern world doesn't care how godly you are. Uh, it doesn't yeah. care how much you need the money. It 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 all. It's all come down to bureaucracy and capitalism. Well, well stated. Um, there, there's another thing. He. Oh, I'm trying to think of. Like, I love that moment. Like, you know, I think you see. I don't know if y'all do this, but as I'm watching a movie, I'm always trying to figure out what they're going to do at the turns, right? Like there's always the way a movie starts, I guess the first act. And then as you go into like a second act or a third act, depending on how the film goes, like I'm always interested to see how the directors kind of do those turns. And I, and I, I love the moment where I realized that he was going to maybe even never get the money because <laughs> of all these problems. Uh, I, I became super invested in the film because just to your point, it's like he doesn't it's such a simple thing got a money order go to the post office pick up the money you're good so they start buying all this stuff on credit his wife's buying like uh bras they're buying water they're buying like tons like tons of rice or they're so they're you know there's that old advice with money about don't spend it till you have it don't but there's chickens before they hatch don't count your chickens exactly and like they they just get so excited about the fact that this is this is real it's a money order so they immediately spend it. And I, you know, there was a one scene near the end where they were starting to count up all the things they had spent. There's a chance they had already spent that entire money order. Um, 
they didn't actually put the number out there in the film, but there's there's a chance that they had spent that entire thing before they even had it. Um, and so when he runs into all these different issues, you you get uh, you you kind of feel his pain because it's every day he has to just go back and 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 have a big meal that they bought on credit and go to sleep and uh, try again to solve this problem the next day. Um, and you know, I, it just, reminds me a lot of. Um... There's a, I work as life skills with kids, and a lot of them are missing two essential documents that we have in the U.S., which is a birth certificate and a social security card. Um, sometimes they're missing both. They, they just, oh, they've lost them. And that is a very frustrating experience as for anyone who's not from the U.S. or anything. Those are basically, if you don't have your birth certificate, your only other option is to have a passport. Most jobs will accept that or one or the other. Um, but you almost always need a, your social security card. And it's a very flimsy little document. So it's not like it's hard to lose unless you go ahead and laminate it yourself. Um, so one thing I, I've found doing this for years is when they're missing both, we'll go to the sites where it says to reply to get a replacement social security card. Be like, okay, we need a copy of your birth certificate. And it's like, okay, let's go to the document for the birth certificate. We need a copy of your social security number. Oh my God. And it's like, Jesus Christ. It's like, how do we do this? And you, it ends up being such a hateful process for these kids that are 14 or 15 years old who just want to start working within a year and it, it, unless they find a way to get it in this system that has basically put them in a literal circle of it, unproductivity wow. they'll never get they'll never get it and it, it it's it's one of these things that reminds me of this it's like the simplest process in the world is made more complicated for no reason it's just there's no reason for it to be this complicated <laughs> Wow. Is this, are, are most of the kids that you're talking about in some sort of form of foster care? Is that why they've lost their birth certificate? Uh, some of it's foster care. And then some of it is, some of them lost them house fires. Some of them have lost it because their parents did not bother to keep up with it. See, I grew up, thankfully, my mother took those documents and put them in a file uh, when I was a kid and just never touched them until she needed them. Um, yeah. And I have them now. Um, so, you know, I do the same thing. but. Some people just aren't like that. They don't think of the importance of that document or they think, ah, well, they can get it again, not realizing they're some of the toughest documents to get copies of. And I mean, for somewhat of a good reason, you don't want somebody to have your identity or anything like that. But at the same time, there needs to be an, <laughs> if you're going to over proceduralize it anyway, there should be a procedure if both are gone. <laughs> not get this to get this, get this to get this. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's unproductive. It's entirely unproductive. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it's a part of every kind of Western culture, right? Every mm -hmm. every culture that was colonized by British or French um, governments. Push paperwork until you can't do it anymore. That That's that's the, the society that's kind of been built. <laughs> push push every bit of paperwork you can so it's not your fault. I, I had well, I did idea. my job. Yeah, I, I kind of had this idea I wanted to ask you about, and it's it's loosely defined, so I hope there's a question in this, but I think, you, I like the way you described it, Adam, that might be a better way of saying what I was kind of feeling watching this, but, you know, he went from a community that knew him, right, and his whole life was built around this community, to the city that was mostly under French rule, where he was not known, <clears throat> and I think that that was like, 
most of the tension in this was going from community to this kind of urban sprawl or this like from a community to to basically anonymity right and you, and all these systems that are created or uh, these bureaucratic systems are created to handle anonymity right because how do you handle people on a national scale if you're trying to track and, and you're trying to so like there's a reason for it um but it it seems to be i don't know making things worse yeah, it's, it's just actually, one of those processes where we lose the pragmatic nature of things. Like there was a purpose, but it evolved so much to the point where whatever pragmatic reason you had for it is gone for a theoretical one. Yeah. And, you know, that sounds fine and dandy, but I, my my position on that's always been there is no theoretical reason a bicycle works. It was pragmatically kept getting built and rebuilt until it worked. That's that's how real life works. <laughs> yeah. Not, we're going to make it easier by thinking it's going to be easier. <laughs> it's 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 something that's it's it's built to make it easy for the people behind the desk, as opposed to the people coming to the desk. You know, it's yeah. very easy to say, "No, sorry, I need you to do this and that and this and that," so I don't have to do any work. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we've we've kind of all seen a lot of this shows up in sitcoms and stuff as well. You know, go fill out this form and come back to me. It's like there's a whole there's a whole episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine kind of dedicated to it about the bureaucracy of filling out different forms um, and, and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it all comes down to uh, they're making it easier for the people behind the desk as opposed to the people actually needing the forms and needing the documentation and who actually are availing of the process. Um, and it just comes, it's all comes down to the selfishness. Um, you brought up the point, Chris, about how his, a lot of his issues happen in the city, and the same thing happens in Barm Surat. It's kind of like an extension of the themes that are shown in Barm Surat. The yeah. same thing happens when he when he leaves the, the rural sprawl and goes to goes to the more upper class regions or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's that's where all the problems start. And yeah, it's kind of the same thing here. And there's a pretty pretty um visually distinct a visual um a big visual distinction between the two areas that you know the traditional people are all wearing their traditional clothing it's all very unique colorful everyone's wearing something different and then they go to the city and everyone's just kind of wearing their drab suits um they all kind of blend the same um so yeah i think there's a lot of things that simben does very subtly to let the audience know it's it's two very different worlds you know in one world it doesn't matter if you don't know what your birthday is but in another that is the single most vital piece of information you need to know if you don't know that you cannot do anything you need to do and um, so it just it just really highlights the like i said before just highlights the, the old and the new uh the old africa and the new africa because of colonialism because of its influence in, unless you know somebody, right? And that's one of the themes I really liked about yes. the movie. Um, and that, the same, that's, yeah, and that's reality. That's the same in, in everything, really. If you if you know the right person, um, you, you can get anything you want. You know, that's a, the the system is is built for for normal regular people. It's 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 built to keep them in place but if you know the right people you can get around the system no problem you don't know your birthday that's no problem 
I'll, I'll yeah. look after you. I, I know the right people who can get this sorted for you. That's not an issue. We see it all the time, you know, in terms of like crimes by rich and influential people. You don't need to go to jail. We know the right people. It's all good. You don't need to worry about about jail, <laughs> you know? So um, unless you piss the right people off, then you're pretty much always going to be fine. And you know, Unless it's kind of funny that, off, obviously what happens yeah. here. <laughs> well, and you know, it, it, you know, we take it for granted too. Like knowing your birthday is such a, yeah, yeah. I, I write that on every form I write when, when's my birthday, but it's really arbitrary. Like when you look at like cultures throughout history of when you became an adult, it's usually not necessarily tied to always tied to age. Well, it might be tied to age, but it's not tied directly to your birthday. Um, but it's tied to when you're expected to, be responsible and stuff like that. Every culture has it differently. So it, it's always, it's just kind of funny to think that it, it's easy to see looking on this kind of outside, why it feels so arbitrary to someone like 18 is a big age in the United States. So 17 and 364 days, you're a minor. The next day you're an adult. Nothing's changed. I mean, position of the sun is slightly different. Well, the position of the earth to the sun is slightly different. <laughs> But that's it. That's the only thing that's changed in that day. But to us, it makes the biggest deal in the world. Uh, well, not anymore because you have to be 21 to do everything now. You can't buy a pack. You used to say you could buy a pack of cigarettes at 18. You can't do that anymore. But still, you're 18. You're an adult. Statutory rapists around the world are now applauding Zach. Yeah. There's <laughs> only one day, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but you know, it, it's arbitrary in that sense of why does this matter? Like, it doesn't really make a sense. It doesn't, I, I mean, you know, that's the whole thing with being 18. I was like, I still think of 18 as children. Um, being almost 30 now, it's like, these are children. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so I will, um, I will save myself a little bit by noting that. They are still babies <laughs> at 18. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, there's a we we took this trip over the break um, to Mexico and there's this interesting you talked about different cultures, so the Mayan culture they became adults anywhere between nine to thirteen and I thought that age range was interesting that they had a four year gap, but it makes sense in what you're just describing. They probably didn't think of birthday as the same, the same way that that we think of birthday. So it probably nine to thirteen is probably the range where children develop the right skills needed to kind of fend for themselves. And so once they could do it, they became adults or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, old, you know, old America was sort of like that too. Like when you were nine or 10 years old, you're working on the farm. You, there yeah. wasn't this childhood culture that we have now, which is good. It means we're in a luxurious situation where, you know, kids can be kids for as long as possible. Yeah. Back then you were nine or 10, you better learn how to, how to plow or how to milk a cow or how to do anything. I mean, you're an adult now. Dad dies. It's up to you. <laughs> like, Thank you, Nicholas life. Ray, for inventing teenagers. Thank you. <laughs> uh, seriously. Um, speaking of Nicholas Ray, this is kind of a stretch. Uh, some of the crime <laughs> in his movies. Um, <clears throat> there's, I thought the element of the other thing, I, my favorite part of this film we haven't talked about yet was also the the ambiguous nature of all the crimes like if you know because the way that everybody spoke to each other was so positive it became really hard to know when somebody was lying or when somebody was cheating or scamming because everything was done all the social interactions were extremely positive right so like when he got scammed by the the photographer no there's absolutely no indication that that guy was a scam artist. I mean, 
knowing what we know as maybe being a little bit older and being more skeptical, you know, we probably would have not gone to that guy to get our passport photos. But the whole time he was saying the right thing. Oh, are you getting an ID photo? Okay, great. Put your chin up. Like, like the whole thing, you know, it was all so positive. And then in the end of the film, when <clears throat> he gets ripped off by his cousin, um, it's, it's, I don't actually know if the guy stole the money or if he was pickpocketed. Like, it's hard to know because there's no, there's no social tip off or social cues as to what's going on. Like every time they met, everybody was so positive with each other. So I thought that was super interesting. I, I, I don't know. I love that piece of it. Yeah. And I mean, it's something, you know, you can see, I mean, I, when I went to Egypt, you know, when you look different and you mentioned like they're, they're different, you know, the way they dress and everything else, it is a tip. If you're not careful that you're an easy mark, like, Mm-hmm. Americans in the Middle East, yeah. I mean, there's they don't know the money conversion, they don't know this and that. I mean, and you know, that's that's it's not just the Middle East, it's everywhere in the world. If you look different, you don't know the culture, you don't know how things are, therefore you're an easy mark. And you know, some people can even justify it saying, Well, they were that easy, then it, you know, it's a good learning opportunity <laughs> to know how to right. not get ripped off. Right. It's one thing that I've said to to customers like a, a million times. Scam artists may may sound dumb, but they are not dumb. They they know exactly how to play to their audience. Mm-hmm. So if a scam artist is sounding dumb to you, it's because they thought you were dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 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 the thing. So with, with this, you know, the best way to try and scam him is to play nice because they know he's like a man of god man of honor traditional be nice to you be nice to him be friendly um talk nice to him get on his good side and you might be able to get something out of it if you try and you know be aggressive with him we've seen that he's more he's very quick to get aggressive himself uh, in some situations so yeah i think i think again I, i agree technically we have no proof the nephew ripped him off but I think we can all pretty much assume the nephew ripped him off. Um, yeah. But the nephew is always very courteous, very um, very respectful. The way, you know, you would expect a nephew to speak to their uncle. Um, he was that the whole time, even after, you know, he ripped him off. He's like, yeah, I'll give you some rice. We'll get it sorted. You know, we'll, we'll look after it, uncle. Don't worry. You know, it's not my fault. I lost money too, you know. He... he he definitely ripped him off, but you know he played it as well as he po- possibly could have. Right. Yeah, I don't know, and I, I just thought that was like I think the way that Semben made this film, it felt universal, even though it was like so specific to that culture, and I I, I felt like maybe maybe because it was so specific, it became easier for me to pull out those themes of feeling like disconnected from change and like disconnected from the way the world is moving on. I mean, we were joking earlier about Twitter. As of a month ago, the three of us weren't on Twitter. (laughs) So there's a whole world that, you know, I I mean, like it happens, it it happens to everybody in some form, right? Yeah. Like we all have those, um, those uh, barriers that we haven't quite broken down that, that new thing that's come out that, we're not really too keen to try and you know it's just something that happens as you get older um just yeah. you know you, you kind of get set in your ways 
you like how things are working and how you're doing things right now as you've been doing it for such a such amount of years when something suddenly changes and it's suddenly different it's it, it can be hard to adapt to that right and it's especially hard to adapt to it when you have literally every possible barrier stopping you from trying you know he he tried he tried to get his birth certificate he tried to get an identity card he, he tried like we can't say he he just threw his toys out of the pram and sat down and gave out that he couldn't just have his money he did everything he was supposed to do it's just the system didn't really want him to succeed yeah yeah and and it's funny he said all of his money that's one thing that i want to make sure we touch on because that was something that was i thought was really interesting do you remember the letter from the nephew in france do you remember yeah. how much money he actually got from that 25,000? 2,000 francs. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he definitely spent that. Definitely overspent on it, for yeah. sure. So, it's, um, yeah, to your point, it's not like he was above reproach. No, for sure. Like, he wanted his bag as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's as simple as that. He was not in this for his nephew. If he had to spend his nephew's portion to get his portion, he was going to do it. He would have spent <laughs> 23 grand to get his two grand. Yeah. For uh, those of you who thought that maybe we'll get to some English-speaking movies for our next episode, well, that's going to be dead in the water. Uh, <laughs> since Chris was unable to do a double director's episode, I will take one for the team and do my next one, which is uh, for anyone who's seen Possession, which is Zulawski's probably his, and uh, I even probably it's his most famous film. Um, he was a very interesting director throughout his career, so I kind of wanted to go and talk about his. First two films, which are two parts of the Polish trilogy, which uh, Eureka and probably some other companies are going to be putting out very soon, which is very exciting. Um, the first one is the third part of The Night, um, which was, he did a couple TV movies before this, but this was really his first feature film. Um, and this one is, uh, oh, that's a long one. Uh, essentially, it's, uh, it's, it's a World War II horror movie. So that one will be fun. I'm not going to read that whole thing to save time. And then the uh, second one is, this was a little bit easier to say, it's Diabelle, which means the devil. It's his 1971 film. It was his second feature. Um, but this one is kind of a, it's another period piece horror film, but this one's in the invasion of Poland in 1793. Uh, for anyone who does want to follow and try to watch these ahead of time, there is a streaming service, which we can at least attest to is not as sketchy as it might come off. Is uh, what, it, what Chris, you might know, was it europeanmovies.com? yeah I, I, eastern european movies.com i think that's it yeah so they'll yeah, a lot, I, was I was on there films. earlier yeah just to make sure they were playing right yeah it's eastern european movies.com yeah they're uh it's an interesting streaming site um they actually have a couple i noticed uh, when i was looking at the other day they actually have a couple different websites but uh they have like a lifetime membership for like a hundred bucks but i mean you don't have to pay for that but it's a very interesting streaming site when you go on it. But it is legitimate. Uh, we've I've used it several times, and I think Chris, you've been on it quite a bit too as well. Yeah. Um, so they're both on there, and I think like three of his other films are on there. Um, I avoided doing the whole Polish trilogy, uh, mostly for the sake of I think that can almost do an episode on itself because that's a two and a half hour sci-fi epic epic horror film that uh, was cut. 80% of the way through by the Polish government. So there's like several segments of that where Zolowski is just telling the audience what was supposed to be there. 
and it'll just cut to it. So it's a very dense film anyway, and it's very tied into Polish censorship. So I was like, you know what, we'll just do the two easier ones to talk about, which are both very interesting. So uh, next time we meet, we will be discussing some Zulawaski. And so this should be interesting. Have, uh, have uh, Adam, have you seen anything besides Possession? I haven't even seen Possession. Oh, man, I should have chose Possession. Now, that'd be interesting when you go to that one. Um, I know, Chris, you've seen Possession for sure. I remember you wrote a review. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that the only one of his you've seen? It is. Cool. Awesome. So, all right. 